Dare to Rise, guys. I'm your host, Nicole. With me, as always, is my partner in crime, Tina Kay. Hi, everyone. Hi, Tina Kay. How are you? I'm doing well. I, it seems like I say that every every time we're talking, but that positivity. just means we're really happy people. <laughs> we're happy. We're optimistic. Not that we don't have challenges, but uh, no, but we're we are very blessed people, though. That's for sure. What have you yeah. been up to since I last talked to you? Well, I just wanted to take a moment and recognize a past guest, um, Karen Wright. Um, she was just recently we interviewed her on her book, Now or Never, uh, Shine Baby Shine, um, a memoir about her daughter's uh, death. And her book was released on Saturday. And I just actually her book hasn't been released yet. Sorry, that's still coming up March. Oh, you're uh, talking 19th. about her anthology. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Her anthology. Anyway, the anthology that she was in um, was released on Saturday and it is a number one international bestseller. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. So I it was like, oh, my gosh. So international bestseller in five countries, U.S., India, Canada, Australia, and the UK. So um, that book is out there and we're just really excited and um, happy to support her in that release. Um, it's called Break Free to Peace, Love, and Unity. So no, if you're oh, interested, check it out. How exciting for her. She's got a lot yeah. of um, big things going on. So thank you for yeah. sharing that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's good to celebrate what's going on in everybody's life. And um, what about you? Um, so what I think has been so something exciting that actually Tina Kay and I both did um, since the last time we recorded is Weber Stay actually for Black History Month had um, in my eyes a, an icon, somebody I've always um, thought was inspirational. Um, Ruby Bridges, who's a civil rights activist icon, um, again, I think for everybody, but for sure for me, she came to Weber State and got to speak and Tina through Zoom because it's yes. COVID and everything yes. virtually. But it was so amazing, though, to hear her speak um, through Weber State um, Black History Month that they were offering. Her message was amazing. I loved the conversation. Um, and I found it super inspirational. One thing that she said that stuck out to me a lot was, you know, Black history, any history truly is shared history. And I love how she said that because they were talking about, you know, the different histories and what's important. She was like, this is America's shared history. And I would just, I just thought that was an interesting and just profound outlook that she had about, um, you know, the importance of knowing where we all came from. Yeah, no, that was a wonderful episode. I know you and I were texting back and forth like, holy cow, did you hear that? Did you hear her say that? But she was so loving and, and compassionate and, and so humble too. Oh, yeah. With her involvement in, in such a big part of history. So it was so cool just to be a part of that or to be able to see 
her. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And she's so beautiful. It just, and again, like you were just talking about her just radiance of beauty, but also just compassion and empathy mm-hmm. towards just everybody. Um, and for our audience members that aren't familiar with Ruby Bridges, she was one of the first students, um, black students to go into an all white school um, during segregation um, down in Louisiana. So, which was pretty, I mean, again, it's 2021. I think for us, that's like what we had segregated schools. And, but again, that's part of our history. And it's just so important to know where we've, where we've come from and how much we've you know, made progress. There's still progress to be had, but we definitely have made progress. And her, her story was just so, um, inspirational. And I think it's just important to educate ourselves about different cultures and different experiences. And that kind of leads me into our special guest that we have tonight Mm -hmm. that I'm so excited. I've been looking forward to this interview for a while. We have Wilson Atin from Utah Dene Bakaya. Um, So I know I'm so excited. (laughs) So just so you guys, so our audience knows what Utah Dene Bakaya is about. Um, So Dene Bakaya means people sacred lands in the Navajo language. Um, Utah Dene Bakaya is a 501c3 nonprofit, native-led, values-driven organization that recognizes the deep and ongoing spiritual connection between indigenous people and the land. Utah Denebekaya operates at the intersection between culture and conservation by promoting land protection that honors and includes human societies that have existed in ecosystems since the time immemorial. Utah Denebekaya seeks to heal people and the earth by ensuring that sacred ancestral lands remain intact for future generations of all people. And with that, Wilson, welcome to Dare to Rise. Welcome, Wilson. Yeah, um, so this is like a proper, a proper translation is, uh, my name is Wilson Nati. Uh, I am Bitterwater, born for the red running to water. My maternal grandparents are salt people and my paternal grandparents are the mini goats. And I am from the, from an area called, uh, Oljeto, Utah. And I'm all, but I'm really from an area called, uh, Halgeto. Oh, we're so excited to have you on. How have you been doing since we last talked? Um, I've been pretty good. Just, uh, just been here at our um, office location here in Salt Lake City. Um, it's been pretty busy. It's been a, it's been a, it's been a really good uh, past few months. Um, just kind of transitioning from uh, looking for a new office building because the one we're in is going to be torn torn down the end of oh, April. Wow. So, but everything else is pretty good. Um, we've we've been successfully opened a story. I mean, a little small pop up store and art gallery type of thing and it's been going really good with a lot of people has been recognizing um the the logo and use at the Mikea and some people have been like curious so we've been getting a lot of visitors oh yeah it's t- wonderful so tell us more about this pop-up uh what what could we get from you like what kind of, we talked about this before and, and I want to go, Nicole, I'm sure you too. Oh no, I I'm, I'm ready to go. To yeah. Let's store. go shopping. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you talked to So we have this COVID relief program and part of the program, but we decided to open this little small pop-up store. And then a pop-up store is to help um, indigenous artists who've been um, heavily impacted by the COVID 
19 pandemic. So what we did is like we purchased like um, artwork um, from directly from um, Native American artists. And then we sell at this at our store without changing the, the price that we originally bought it from. The reason so is because we don't want to create this like uh, this thing, what, what I call is like the, the trading post, like, you know, a long time ago trading post or till to this day trading post, they really undermine, undermine the value, original value of indigenous artwork or indigenous crafts. So then they would buy like, for like, like the lowest and then they would like make it like three times, four times as much like in their stores. And that's unfair. So then that's what we're trying not to get into. So, so yeah, so that's what we did. And then uh, we helped a a lot of artists, um, a lot of indigenous artists self-employed. So this is, this is a good way for them to, to get some money and also to make their artwork recognizable to um, other people. That's amazing. So we bought things from like jewelry to, uh, um, to some paintings and to drawings, to uh, basket, Navajo basket weavers, to uh, Navajo rug weaving, and then to um, like beaded brooches and beaded uh, bedallions. So then oh, that's that sounds so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell us your, tell us when we can come. <laughs> <laughs> so the store is usually open from like three to six from Monday to Friday. Except during days when we host volunteer events um, due to our COVID relief program for food distribution. So let's jump into that then, Wilson. So how has COVID-19 impacted the Navajo um, nation, Navajo people in general? And also talk about the COVID relief that your guys' organization supports. Okay. So um COVID-19 on, on the Navajo Reservation um, it's, uh, had a deeper impact than I thought. Just because, you know, it's not really the youth, it's not the, the virus, not really targeting youth, but it's really targeting our elders. And then our elders are the knowledge holders within our culture and traditions. So with our elders um, leaving, then, you know, we're losing that knowledge. So basically they're like libraries with all the traditional knowledge that they hold and with them leaving, then it's, it's, it's a knowledge loss. So yeah. So then that's what, that's how the COVID um, 19 pandemic or the virus itself, it really is like hurting, you know, our reservation. However, um, I know like, with our efforts, um, we really encourage, you know, I spoke. Okay, so back in March of 2020, you know, when the virus very started, you know, um, I don't know how, but I got it. I was oh, wow. probably one of the first people who saw used to get it, but I didn't know it. So, but then, you know, I, I usually don't really like have a social life here in the city. So it was really good. <laughs> <laughs> I stayed home and I was just like inside my house. That's it. And that's all I did. And then, but then like, it was so interesting because my symptoms were really different from what the media and the news said. Mm-hmm. So I didn't think of it. I, like I, I thought it was like uh, my seasonal allergies that usually get in spring from all that pollen, all these, um, right. particular so then that's all I had. All I had was like nasal congestion. And then, um, I didn't have shortness of breath. I saw, I saw 
now that I think of it, I still had a little small, like, uh, you know, my taste and my smell was gone because of my nasal congestion. And that was it. And then I got better within like three to five days. And then I went home. And then when I went home, I stayed like, I, uh, I was like running around and I was like playing on basketball, my siblings, my family. And when I was home, I didn't go anywhere either. So uh, one of our staff uh, contacted one of the uh, local, our local clinic and told them that, you know, I could have possibly got the COVID because I told them, you know, I didn't feel it, I was sick. So there's two doctors that came to my store. I mean, my, my, um, my house and they tested me right outside. And then I waited for oh, four wow. days and then I got it back and then it was positive. Then I was like, Oh, dang. So they told me to quarantine <laughs> for 14 days. And, but, uh, but like, yeah, 14 days. And then, um, I just kind of like doubled it. So I was like home on my reservation for a whole month. Yeah. And then we closed, that's when we closed our office down as well. And everyone else, all our staff was well, working remotely from their home. Well, and so one then, thing, so oh, yeah, sorry. So, that, sorry. <laughs> so yeah, that is like my story. And then, um, um, that's when Cynthia Wilson, our traditional foods program director, uh, started the, uh, the, the sheep and seeds project. And with that in mind, when I was home, I'm like, what am I going to do at home? But then like, there was so, so many things to do <laughs> being quarantined. So then like my, my mom started to teach me or my family started to teach me like traditional herbs to get, you know, and like how to gather them, how to prepare for them, the necessary offerings you make. And then also, um, you know, I wanted to do something more that we haven't done in a while. And then like, I was like Hey, why don't we just like start our own garden? Because, uh, our local grocery store, you know, on reservation, there's like, there's only like there's only a few grocery stores, and then like a lot of people have to travel at least 20 to like 15 miles to the nearest grocery store. Mm-hmm. So ours luckily was just like 10 miles. I mean, not just 10 miles, but it's 10 miles from <laughs> ours. <laughs> ours like 10 miles away. And then like I remember like um people, you know, complaining, saying like, oh, there's not enough meat left, there's not enough food left. So then like food was kind of going out. So then like I was like, hey, it's like might as well just revert back to tradition. So then we started, we uh, ordered some seeds through um, Utah Dambikea, and then we planted those seeds from um, Cynthia Wilson's, um, just the seeds, her seeds project, her seeds program. And then we got corn, we got squash, we got beans, and we planted them. And then uh, that's how we took, took care of our plants and everything, our garden. And back in fall, we got, we got a pretty, like a lot of like squash. Um, unfortunately our corn got eaten by some hungry horses. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but, well, they had so to that, eat too, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but then that, that was our fault because, uh, our fence was just, it was, we, uh, our fence was, was it good? It, it could like, I think like a little small like mouse could have taken it down. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so then we got like about two, three like years of corns that was left. So then then we got a lot of squash, and um, it was really good because I learned a lot about taking a garden in a traditional type of sense. You know how we as the net people used to like plant, and these like knowledge was passed down from my grandma when I used to call her. You know, like how do you do this? How do you do this? And then she shared it with me through the phone. And through that, I think that's one of the, like, I guess the positive optimistic mm-hmm. effects of this pandemic is like, not, not just my family. I know other families did it too, that we reverted 
back to our traditional foods and then we start growing them. And then with that, I think we start to know the value of it more, you know? Mm-hmm. So then, so then that's, that's, that's what we did. And then it was really cool because uh, we got some seeds and then we saved the seeds and we're going to do it again this year. And we're going to try to continue that every year until, until we get like, uh, until we like understand how to grow like food. Cause right now, last year was just kind of like trial and error, you know, like, <laughs> Yeah. And yeah. So then that's what, um, that's what we're going to do again this year and try to make it better as we progress over the years. And you mentioned about sheep too. So you, there were seeds and sheep. So tell us yeah, about that so, as well. So the seeds, prog- uh, the seeds program was more short term, you know, it was easier to like, uh, collect seeds and give them out to people who signed up online, but the seeds um, the sheep project required a little bit more work just because uh, we're really looking for a specific breed of sheep. Um, it is called um, the Navajo Turo sheep. So as you know, the Spanish brought the Turo sheep. And then... Actually, I didn't traded. know that, by the way. So you taught me something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a Spanish Turo sheep, and then we traded with them, and then we got the Turo sheep. But that was like over probably 300 years ago. But during that 300 span, like uh, lifespan, uh, the the churro sheep kind of evolved and adapted to the southwest climate. So the meat, the wool, and yeah, that kind of changed. So the wool, the the hair or the wool is more like thicker. It's really good to like use it to weave, and then the meat is more leaner, and it's, it's more. And it, but it takes like about two to three years for it to get lean. And also um, the interesting characteristics about the, the Navajo ram is that it has four horns. There'll be like a horn growing up right here and then another horn growing up. That's how you know it's ram. Oh, and interesting. Then, and then the wool itself is kind of like a brown, like a kind of light, light brown color. So, and then also they don't really require a lot of water. So I mean, they don't drink like, like well, a lot of water like the other sheep do. And then also, um, they've adapted to the southwest climate of the plants. So then they know what plants to eat, what plants is nutrition, and they already know like what plants they shouldn't eat, which one's bad. And there's a couple of plants that are out there that's bad for livestock. So that's the Navajo Ram. So then that's what we were looking for for the sheep project. And we bought some from um, Navajo uh, uh, sheep owners and we bought some from off a reservation. I believe there was a man somewhere in, I think it was Hanksville or towards Boulder, um, Utah that had some um, Navajo rams. And then that's when we, um, sheep, and then that's what we bought from. And then we gave, I think about 15 to 10, we gave like those sheep away to like 15 to 10 families. And my family, my family got some um, sheep. So um, I believe that they were already mothers before we got them. So then we're just waiting for another year before we get some little baby limbs. Oh, cute. Um, so no. that's what we're looking for. And that's the sheep project because we wanted uh, Navajo families to, to live uh, in a sustainable way again, not to rely a lot on like, um, like, like commercial size, like commercialized like foods, you know, like grocery right. store. Yeah. Just because, you know, grocery stores are way out there. And also we kind of learned that, you know, this pandemic really like opened our eyes that we come, we become more reliant on these things. 
and in a way reverting back to something like just growing our own food or herding sheep again really kind of cuts a lot of that worry off so then that's why we started the sheep and cheese project and so far it's been really good and i hope that um well for my family we want to start um was it um making rugs and making things with the wool again, like felted hats and all these other things, you know, there's so much things you can do with wool. So then that's what I want to bring back to my family so they could start something like that. And yes. hopefully other Navajo families who got sheep could do the same thing as well. Yeah. So you're more self-reliant. Um, one of the things that I found, well, Tina and I both did, cause we talked about after we talked to you um, the other day and everything about um, the reservation, you were sharing that there are 400 to 500,000 people on this reservation, but you guys don't have many access to, you know, fresh produce, the grocery store. Um, so, which still blows my mind and everything. Mm -hmm. So talk about access for you guys on the reservation when it comes to, you know, grocery pharmacy, those types of access that you guys have or that, that you guys don't have. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So yeah, like I said, you know, there's locations for grocery stores and gas stations. They're all kind of next to the main roads, like highways mm -hmm. that cut through our reservation. And also there's not enough out of there. So there's just that, you know, you have to travel, you have to, you have to put in a lot of gas to travel. And on most reservations, um, on my, most areas of my reservation, you need either like a truck, because, you know, we have dirt roads and most of our roads aren't paved. So, yeah, so then like um, fresh produce and everything, um, there's some out there, but I believe that they don't really buy enough. <laughs> mm -hmm. So then um, I do know like some families, um, um, like more areas that have more access to, because, um, you know, a lot of our farming practices, dry farming. So then we rely a lot on rainfall. So then yeah. a lot of Navajo families who live in a more highland desert towards the mountainous areas, they get more rainfall. So then a lot of them still do uh, grow their own food, you know, like corn, squash, pumpkin, things like that. But then where, where I live, I live in a desert <laughs> in Miami Valley. So it's a little bit more difficult to do things like that, especially when, yeah, especially when we're in drought now. So that's why I guess in my community, I've seen that's when it became more reliant on the grocery store, just because there's more things out there that we can't do or we can't grow anymore. Yeah. And Wilson, last time you talked to us too about so many of um, the indigenous people don't have running water or don't have electricity. So they've all, they've, they're impacted because of that with COVID too, because they have to go to the store more frequently to get to get food and water, but also washing hands, you're not able to do. So there's been a lot of challenge around that with COVID. So it makes sense about the sheep and not requiring a lot of um, water for them or the, or the seeds and the, um, the vegetables that you're planting. So talk to us a little bit about how your efforts um, to help combat that, to help make sure that um, the people have the uh, food with the bucket stuff that you were talking to us before. Yeah. So we, we um, helped many people on the Utah Navajo communities and some white Mesa youths um, this summer by one, uh, our COVID relief program, our COVID relief um, food buckets, and two, donations of like 250 gallon water tanks. So <clears throat> our food 
bucket is usually like a bucket, like a, like a, like a white bucket. Mm-hmm. And um, we fill food in there, non, non, non-perishable food. <laughs> Sorry. And the reason why we want the bucket is because, you know, it's multi, it has multi-purpose on our reservation. You know, one, you could store food or two, you can store water. So when I was younger, I didn't grow up with the water, running water. So we would have like barrels outside that we would fill with a bigger like water tank that we would put in the back of our vehicles. And we would travel at least, well, we used to have this um, like a uh, well that we used to pump ourselves. But uh, unfortunately, there was contaminated with heavy, heavy metals and um, some, I guess, I think, radiation from uranium mines that were located there. So they told us not to use that water anymore. So then we had to travel at least 20 miles away to get our water. So we used to get get like a, we had a water tank, we would fill the water barrels and then we would fill our little small water buckets, take it inside. And then that's how we used to get water. And then it was the same as washing your dishes it was the same as, um, you know, like for hygienic purposes, you know, washing face in the morning, washing hands, and it's also for cooking. So we use all this water for that. But, you know, with that in mind, we kind of really valued water. So then we, we have this, you know, sense of respecting water and then, you know, like having, having water, just having water in the desert does really mean a lot and has... Yeah, it's, it's just it's, it's what we call as a blessing, just having water there at home. How often are you guys giving the food buckets um, for reaching out the outreach? How often do you guys do that? Oh, okay. So um, we usually do like about 100 to 200 buckets um, each month. We do it every month just because we have to transport those buckets from our main um, office location here in Salt Lake all the way down to Southern Utah. So the structure we have is like up here, we coordinate with volunteers and then um, for a whole week, we start um, packing buckets. And then the last day or last night, we load those buckets into two vans and then we take those vans and ship it down to Southern Utah. And then during our board meetings, which is on weekends, we usually give those buckets to our board members and staff if they request it. From there, because our board members represent uh, the many various communities within the Utah Navajo side portion of our reservation, of the Navajo reservation, and also White Mesa Ute. And they give those out within the communities, and then they just record, you know, the family that they gave the buckets to. And then we put it on a spreadsheet, and then we share that with our, um, you know, our, our, um, our donors and other organizations who have funded us. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, such an amazing um, outreach that you guys do to support people. Um, in because the pandemic has been a, 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 a hard thing for many people, mm-hmm. I guess, especially when it comes to food insecurity, and that's one way of combating that. And then also, you guys not having um, easily accessible grocery store and access to water. And I just want to. I, I, I have to say, it's crazy. Like I was mentioning just a minute ago, it's 2021. And I'm like, and people don't have access to clean water. I just find that so disheartening. 
um, that anybody in the state of Utah or anywhere in America is experiencing a situation where they don't have easily access to food or, or electricity or clean water. So I have to ask you from your perspective, why is it that so many people on the reservation don't have electricity or don't have access to water? Um, there's like a lot of factors that play with it. There's one where we don't have it, the resources to provide those um, utilities to a lot of families. Mm-hmm. And then two, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, our, our government is really new. I mean, it hasn't been a hundred years yet where our government has been established. And we, there's some areas that have been heavily impacted, you know, by, you know, a lot of mines and a lot of these like resource extraction sites. So then some of these areas require water. So then they took, a lot of these, uh, like the well, like like natural springs, you know, like they, they took those and used it for the mining. And a lot of those have been contaminated or they were dried out. So those water resources that were always traditionally there have all been contaminated or have dried out. So then that's one reason why a lot of families, you know, have a hard time getting water. And then... <clears throat> Yeah, so I think it's just I think it's just that, but uh, the shining some light on that, um, you know, recently our reservation got money from the government from the CARES Act, and a lot of that funding is going towards um, building, you know, um, some kind of uh, structure to get people water and electricity. Oh, that's amazing. Good. So that's in the works right now, and I'm excited to see how it's going to look. I'm excited to 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 see how much families that is going to help. Oh, I think it's going to be transformative. Truly. Mm-hmm. I think that's so awesome though. I, I think, um, resources matter, having somebody fighting for you at the table mm-hmm. matters. And I'm so excited and just, I'm excited for not only you, but your community to see how much that's just going to be life-changing, honestly, mm-hmm. truly. Yeah, so the, that's that's what we're doing at UDB, and it's been really great though. Like, I really liked it, and um, like seeing, I like hearing good comics from the people that we've helped, and it's it's, it's really good work, and it really makes me happy. Then it helps, uh, you know, as a child, you know, I always just say, you know, go out there, you know, go go get uh, you know an education and come back and help your people. And I believe that this is one way that, you know, I'm kind of answering some elders' prayers. Oh, Ellison, I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I truly do. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you know, what, you know, what your guys' organization stand, stands for. You know, um, Denebakaya means people's sacred lands. You've been talking a lot about, you know, um, elders, you know, sharing history and tradition. So can you share with um, us and our audience about the importance of sacred lands, um, even specifically bare ears? How, what, what significance or important is that to the Navajo people? Oh, um, you know, it was a place of refuge during the, you know, the whole, the whole dark history of the United States, you know, how it came to be, it served as a refuge because, you know, people went there to, to feel protected and to be protected. And, you know, that's what that land is about, you know, it's for protection. It's, it's nurturing. It nurtures us back to health and nurtures us back, um, to being reconnected to our ancestral homes, not just Navajo, but 
to the many uh, Pueblo and um, to the many Pueblo tribes and also to Laguna and uh, Zuni and also to the uh, many Ute bands and Paiute bands that once, you know, called that home as well. So that's what it kind of means to be, uh, you know, as, as you were stating just a while ago, the sacredness of that area. And that's what Bears Ears ultimately represents <clears throat> is that, you know, because even to this day, we still go up there for resources. Uh, we get we still go over there to grab the traditional herbs. We still go over there to um, get wood. And we still go over there to offer prayers and um, respects to the bear, in the Bears Ears region, to the Bears Ears itself. So then, you know, it's, it's we still we still do that, and that's what we're trying to protect. We're trying to protect that area from from what we've seen in the past. Like you know, um, we don't want it to become like a wasteland. We don't want our waters up there to be contaminated. We don't want our food to be contaminated or herbs to be contaminated. We also want to protect our um, ancestral footprints that were left over there. You know, we don't want any more um, destruction of our um, our ancient sites, our ancient homes over there. So then, that's what we're trying to protect, and that's what it, that's what Utah Nebuchadnezzar kind of stands for. And also, in a more modern sense, also to provide some kind of precedent pre- precedent for native tribes to have, you know, an ultimate, you know, con- like to be consulted in a lot of these public land plans. So then I think that would be like a step forward because, you know, public land is native land. Yeah, I was reading some information um, just preparing for this discussion with you today and um, just how the indigenous people have been included as stakeholders in some of these decisions. And I read, um, I read a quote that, you know, you guys are stakeholders, but you're landowners. And so your role is much bigger than a stakeholder. Um, there's so much knowledge and protection that, that goes into your land and, and your history. So I find that so interesting on how on how you have to fight for the protection of your land and yet at the same time fighting for the protection makes it makes more people know about what um what is out there and then that actually creates more damage to what you're trying to protect does that make sense like how how can you fight for something so hard i mean i'm just feeling this frustration for you that to fight for something so hard that you believe in because it's part of who you are and and but you also have to fight against the people that come in and and um disgrace the pictographs and everything that are out there so how do you how do you combat that? Like, what are there things that that you do to? Um, yeah. So, I guess one way to do that is to kind of like uh, you know make it known, you know that you know this is happening within you know our our public lands, and that's what we don't want. And then that is actually one of like our driving force in protecting the the bears regions, you know, that you know, a lot of these non-indigenous people who were once overseeing that area are letting that happen. And why is it continually happening? And 
a lot of their argument is, I mean, that's why we want to uh, manage the Bears region to have a, con- a tribal cons- consultation to manage this area is because, you know, to us, it's a great deal. It's a lot. It's like way up there. But to other people, they might just see it as a bare minimum. So then that's why we want to do it because we'll put in the effort into protecting that area. Absolutely. So that's like one way to, to, to look at it. And also, um, <clears throat> you know, like a lot of the things that were taken from the Bears Ears region, you know, is often found being sold on the black market or like sold underneath the table. Mm-hmm. So then in a way, you know, we are helping stop that and we are kind of making it known, you know, that other areas possibly could be experienced the same thing. And Good. yeah, that's one way to com- combat and also to, you know, a lot of things were already taken from there, you know, by scholars, by universities, by these um, institutions. So in a way, the with this, it's almost the same as looting. And a lot of these cultural artifacts that were taken, we want those back. And, you know, it's, most people don't know that, but, you know, with uh, our ongoing fight, we're beginning to understand that a little bit more. That's why representation really is so important. And you guys mm-hmm. having a seat at the table, like you were just saying to some people, you know, the importance or the significance to your guys' sacred lands is not at the top of their priority list. Right. But to, to you and your people, it, it, it has this deeper meaning that maybe it sounds like clearly they don't even understand the, the significance that it has for all indigenous people, the meaning um, traditional in a traditional sense, or just, you know, um, connecting with your guys's history and your elders. So it's really important that you guys have somebody at the table fighting to make sure that native issues are being a priority. Cause it doesn't sound like um, it has been a priority because the people that are in charge of making decisions haven't been focused on making sure native issues were a priority in the decisions. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really, that's correct. And um, just, just being with UDB for the past year, I've learned that, you know, just because we're indigenous, we have to like work, two to three times as hard to to get the the necessary things done for us but you know it's pretty good i mean it's becoming well known now to a lot of people um i know that the salt lake city air protectors always do a, a prayer run and they start from bears ears all the way to salt lake city and last year i've been on that prayer run and it was it was an amazing it was an amazing event i met some really really good runners okay tell me how long is this run cuz i you're going to tell me <laughs> it's really long and i'm not a marathon <laughs> runner so tell me how long this run is so this run was actually uh, one of the longest runs i've ever done i so knew it <laughs> it started from bears ears and ended uh in salt lake city just uh, right below the capitol and oh the run was over <laughs> The run was over 350 miles. I knew it. Oh my <laughs> I was like, is it, is it a 5K? I can do a 5K. <laughs> I can do a 5K, Wilson. But you just said over 300 miles, which mm-hmm. honestly, that's kind of like a pilgrimage in itself. <laughs> like that really is um, amazing. Um, so mm-hmm. you were saying you you met some amazing people through that. Mm-hmm. We, I, there was 10 runners all together. And uh, some of the Salt Lake City Air Protectors, their uh, staff members ran. But uh, we kind of went by like 
like a leg. We had two groups. Uh, one group would start like at a halfway point and we would start at the other half. And then, so then it'd be five runners starting from mile one. And then let's say it was like 50 miles. We'll be like starting a mile run. And then the other group would start at like mile um, 25. And then that's how we would start running. Um, if we would run like all in one group, uh, I would probably take like all day just to run that 50 miles. Oh, it would take me all day. year, Wilson. <laughs> There's 365 days in a year. And that's how long it would take me to run that. That is so um, impressive, by the way, on a physical standpoint, but also on a spiritual um, standpoint, I could see that being like really humbling and just really like what you know, really thinking and reflecting on why you're running, like the purpose of the meaning behind this prayer run that you guys are participating in. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was really good. I met some really amazing people and, you know, within that five days that we've spent together, you know, we really kind of just like all just connected, you know, Day one, we're all strangers, you know, getting to know each other. Day two, we started to develop some sort of kinship. Kinship meaning like we we started to, uh, you know, call ourselves, you know, like I had a couple of relatives who are Navajo by clan. And then there were some who weren't Navajo, but then we still, we developed some type of relationship like that. So then like, I remember uh, one of the runners, um, she was a bit older than me. Uh, she was like, you know, like I told her, I tell, I choose myself. And then she was like telling me, it's like, how old are you? And I was like, oh, I'm this age. And she's like, oh, I could be your auntie. He's like, okay, I'll call you. <laughs> <laughs> so then ever since then, I've been calling them auntie and it, it feels good. You know, in Navajo culture, we don't have a, such a word for an aunt. You know, we, we have Shemayaja and Shibija. Shemayaja meaning like, you know, my mom. So then, you know, I would call it, you know, like, we don't have a word for auntie, so I'll just call you Shmayajin, so you basically, like, my mom. So then it felt really good, and then by, by like, the fifth day, we were all resting after our run underneath the, the tree, and, you know, we're just kind of reflecting on, you know, from day one to now, and how the run progressed, and how, you know, how spiritual, you know, it got, you know, it felt really good. You know, we were all like, we had all the same mindset and, you know, we all finished the same goal and then we ate. And then by the time we we're leaving, I was like three or four miles, I mean, four hours outside of Salt Lake. I was like by Price, Utah. I was going back home to uh, Monument Valley. And, you know, I just felt really kind of sad that I'm leaving, you know, my little running family. So then I started to miss them. So then, you know, I would like write a post, I would tag all of them, tell them I miss, I miss you. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. So then it really brought us together through running. And I think that's like one of the strongest runs I've ever done, not because it was far, but it was because, you oh, know. it was far. Don't <laughs> let's not downplay that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's just the strength of running together that really brought me closer to uh, like people. And I think that's where the strength and where spiritualness actually comes in from. Oh, I, I really love. So, um, Wilson, what's something about, there's a, a lot of amazing things about, you know, you about the Navajo people, but what's something that you would like people to know that isn't well known about, um, Navajo culture or the Navajo people? um i guess you know in terms of like knowledge you know 
we weren't like I don't know I guess like I kind of have a sense of feeling where a lot of people think that we were primitive you know oh goodness like people we didn't know anything but in terms of knowledge you know like throughout my like how where I'm at that not just Navajo culture but you know all like indigenous culture you know (laughs) we're really far advanced in a lot of our stories and everything you know is just really uh like what's happening now with the whole climate change and you know everything you know it's, it's in our stories you know like that's what elders taught us and that's what elders try to prevent us from going into but you know we we, we don't have control over that now so, so then like i see it as you know as a very powerful teaching that you know Navajo culture every culture you know in the sense of like spiritualness ceremonies traditional culture and stories all of that is just it's it is it is our science it is our mathematics it is our physics and uh you know a lot of things are interpreted from Navajo into like the like the modern day like education it's the same <laughs> it's just been interpreted different it's just in a different language in a different sense and I think I would like to let like people know about that. You know, like it's really interesting. I, I get mind blown of like some of the stuff I learned in college. And then I go home, and then you know I'm sitting in the ceremony, and like the 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 people in there are telling stories, and you just kind of think about it. You reflect them. You're like, oh cow! Like you know, it's the same thing I learned over there in school, and then like same thing here. But then like over here, it's like two thousand, three thousand, four thousand years old. And through the power of storytelling, you're like, we could have saved you a degree, guys. We we knew the secrets all along. I think that's just so um, amazing. And I think just the power of storytelling within all Indigenous cultures, obviously, is um, important to you guys sharing your history, preserving your guys' traditions and um, things that are sacred to your your guys' community. Um, And then like, you know, in terms of like food, you know, I have, I was watching this documentary called Gather. Um, it's based off of three tribes and their traditional food, um, nutrition and diet. And then they were saying like, uh, over like, like about 80% of the world's like food came from indigenous peoples, you know, potatoes, tomatoes, um, all these came from indigenous people. Even a turkey, the turkey was, you know, like, uh, across these and then you know they just multiplied it and it, it just became this whole like international thing so yeah turkey was one of them <laughs> turkey was originally here turkey is indigenous so and then just just knowing these things it's, it's, it feels really good you know like it, it makes you wonder what else was out there what else was taken you know and shared amongst other people even like like hygienics you know like like the the plants we use to, um, to you not know, to like take, like get to cure sores and all this stuff, even med- medicine, the same thing, you know, it came from indigenous peoples. And then it's just been buried so underneath history that you yeah, just have to dig through it and then find the real truth. Part of the way, you know, for uh, UDB to kind of, you know, educate these people is that we actually uh, offer. Uh, what we call the what's it called the social media sensitivity sensitivity guide training on the indigenous peoples. So then, basically, it's just a training to teach. You know, well, originally it was made for journalists and um, you know other people, 
who do a lot of things like that uh, to help them, you know, like to, to find what's appropriate and what's inappropriate, you know. Right. And then what's stereotyping and what's not and all these other things just to teach them, you know, that type of, I guess, like lesson. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's what we offer here at um, Utah Tinevikea. And it, it's, it's really good. I mean, a lot of journalists, like they have, they have like learned a lot just from taking that training. Well, I've learned a lot from talking with you tonight. So I could say every time we've been able to engage with you, I've learned so much. And um, I, I thank you for the conversation always because it helps me be a more knowledge person because um, I, I live, you know, where I, I don't, I live far away from San Juan County. And so you don't have a lot of experience with um, the indigenous community. And so I think it's important when you don't have a diverse culture or community in the areas that you live, that you are educating yourself and making mm-hmm. yourself aware and just a more well-rounded human being, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's, it feels really good to teach to people who are really open-minded about learning. You know, some people don't, and we've, kind of ran into some people like that within San Juan County. <laughs> so, but it feels good, you know, for, for learning. I think I've, I have kind of uh, developed this type of allyship with some people and it feels really good to make uh, these relationships like that with like other groups of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's so important, like what you're talking about with the relationships and the education. Nicole and I have been talking about this since episode one, where, you know, the challenges or the conflicts or whatever that is going out there in our world, there's a face, there's a voice, there's a person behind that. And for me, I I know this interview has helped me be more mindful of the face, the voice, the mm-hmm. issues that, that you're going going through. And, and I hope that, um, you know, it gives our listeners, it gives me an opportunity to give back and provide support. Um, could you talk to us a little bit about donations and how our listeners can support the efforts that you have to, um, make sure that people have food and are battling COVID battling, fighting against COVID. Um, yes, I could do that. Um, so I guess there's two ways you could do it. Uh, one, you could do it online, or two, you could send it to our uh, post office box. Um, send it to the box, not to directly to our address, just because we're going to be moving again, and it's more easier because you know uh, I don't think the post office is going to move anytime soon, so then like it's easier just to, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to have one central location that will always be perfectly there. <laughs> So yeah, so I would say to uh, you could uh, if you have a good card or something, you can always donate online, or you can send it to our post office box. So or they can every- shop, or they can shop at your pop up store. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, everything goes back into our um, over Lily once you shop at the store. So if people, if people wanted to give, um, volunteer or become an ally with their time, what about volunteer opportunities do you have for people that want to engage and support you guys with their time? Yes. So, um, there's two ways actually. Uh, one is that if you're free or if you're in the Salt Lake City area, then you can always, uh, drop me an email at Wilson at team. I mean, Wilson at utahdenebria.org. If you want to volunteer whenever we are doing our uh, repackaging of our COVID relief, uh, food shipments. 
Uh, and I think there's gonna be another volunteer event is to help us move. <laughs> so then like our offices or like our building is going to be uh it's gonna be demolished. <laughs> so then we have to be moved out, I believe, by the end of April. So then um if you wanna help us out move some office furniture, then yeah, we'll be we'll be looking for some volunteers then. Okay. So the volunteers, do you um see volunteers through the month or is there a time of month that that help support what what your efforts are i know you were just sharing that you've been super busy the end of the month (laughs) so um yeah so that every last week of each month is usually the times when we close our 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 pop-up store and we open up to our volunteers so they can help us repackage uh buckets with our um food shipments and that is that's like really like a it takes a lot of time and it's a lot of labor intensive, <laughs> especially when you have to like load those buckets onto our vans and you have to like go in and out, in and out and kill like two buckets. And they have to stack them inside the thing. And then sometimes we get like a food ship bits of flour um, or um, yeah. So it's like our other like boxes or things that have been donated to us. So then, you know, that always goes into our vans too, not just the buckets. So yeah. So then like usually that times when we're really busy. So then it's really good when uh, people like uh, we have a list of volunteers. So then like every end of the month, we usually like send out just like one email asking like if they want to volunteer and if so, if they want to schedule time to come in to help. And yeah. So then if you want to volunteer, then just do that. Just send me an email then I'll some volunteer opportunities. That's awesome. No, I think that's wonderful. So Wilson, something that we always try to ask all of our guests when they come on Dare to Rise is personally, how have you dared to rise within your own life or in your community? So um, I just, I think one way is just like uh, just becoming, you know, you know, so like when I was younger or I'm the second oldest in my family. Okay. So I'm an older sibling. Oh, nine. I have an older brother. You have the nine siblings? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? And then, <laughs> and then I've always had this type of leader, leadership, you know, figure from the younger ones. So then, you know, I feel like now at my age, I'm like, all these like little like younger kids and everyone's looking up to me. And then, you know, I'm just trying to be the best type of, you know, uh, like motivation for them, inspiration for them. So they could, you know, push themselves a bit further to get, you know, maybe to surpass me or to, to my level and to help the community and go back. So then that's like, I guess one way or one thing that I always keep in mind to make me, to make myself, you know, push a little bit harder and to make me get a little bit taller. Yeah. So then that's, that's what I always keep in mind. And yeah. So then I'm always like thinking of the younger generation. I love that being an example for the youth and um, setting the bar for, you know, how they can push themselves to succeed and to, again, like you were sharing earlier, go, um, go to university, go to school, educate yourself, mm-hmm. and then come back and really impact your guys's community in such a positive way by giving back what you, what you learn and be able to bring that back to your guys's community. Yes, exactly. Just that. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, just also being observant. You know, there's all these different types of leadership that I'm kind of exposed to now with the organization. And sometimes it's just, just being quiet, just sitting there and just observing with your eyes, you know, speaks loud. So then that's what I always like doing, you know, observing the different type of leaderships there are and learning from them as well and from there making yourself better from it. 
I love that. Well, you have an ally in Dare to Rise, you and your guys' organization. Um, we're really so excited that you were able to come on the podcast tonight. And we'll have all of your information for Utah um, Denebukai in our um, in our link for the podcast once we load that. So we'll have all of the information to go back to you, Wilson. But thank you so, so, so much for this conversation. I learned a lot. I hope um, our audience has, I'm speaking, Tina, you've learned a lot. <laughs> yes, of course. Of yeah. Course. And so the, just thank you, Wilson, for coming on the podcast tonight. I re, we both really appreciate your time. Yes, definitely. I really liked it too. Uh, I really liked the time you guys gave. You guys were so welcoming and gave off really good, good energy. It was really fun talking about my work. And yeah, I usually don't brag myself, but (laughs) But you're doing such good work and there's so much, um, meaning and importance with not with what you're doing, what your guys' organization stands for. And again, knowledge is power and educating. And that's why the power, you know, the power of storytelling, like that truly is how we're able to educate one another and learn from one another and make a more inclusive society is the aspiration for all of us and being an ally for one another. We may not, you know, experience the same walks of life, but you know, I I want the best for everybody in in the world. I want to be an ally and I want to be supportive of um, people that live in my state or anywhere actually, but you're, you're a fellow Utahian. So I'm going to be there to be an ally for you and for your guys' community. So Nicole, that was so awesome. Wilson just brought a light to him. Uh, he shared so much knowledge and history of the indigenous people. And I was just so impressed with how he has developed himself and then how he has taken that back to his, his to the people to educate and support the community and grow. No, I really loved how he talked about being a um, role model for his younger siblings and mm. just the the seriousness that he takes in that role of being a role model and being an, an example to the, the youth. And so that was pretty inspiring. I think everything he shared was just so educational and just something I wasn't even aware of. So I was able to really um, open my mind and be educated on a lot of things that I wasn't um, aware, aware of myself. Yeah, I thought, you know, we talk about challenges and we talk about moving forward and but then we but the challenges that the indigenous people have had actually brought them back to the roots Uh, when he was talking about the sheep and seeds program like that is that says so much and in not so many words on what people can do for for their families, um, for their people, for their community, and to make sure that people are self-sufficient. And we're not, we don't have to rely on somebody else, especially when they don't have access to electricity and, and water in some areas. And so I think that was also just very humbling from even us because you we have where we live here in our community, in the part of Utah you and I live in, food is food, electricity, water, all of that clean water, I should specify, that's so readily accessible to us. And so to hear about, you know, truly neighbors that only, they don't live that, you know, far away from us that are experiencing that, that was a pretty humbling um, situation. And again, just sharing what he did about, um, native, his, his native community, um, indigenous people 
again, that's just that sh- our shared history. And it's important that we continue to uplift these type of stories and to lift uplift these voices. So we continue to not only educate ourselves, but educate our, our listeners to um, such an amazing, amazing story and an amazing organization that's really doing a lot of um, great work when it comes to, you know, combating COVID, um, how he ex- was talking about, you know, how COVID's ramp, you know, rampaging through their elder population. And that's where their history. Yeah, um, that's where the knowledge is and right. the stories and the education. So um, it's so such an interesting uh, conversation. And and I know we've already talked about uh, can't wait for him to rejoin Dare oh, to Rise. And yes, he has to. He will be coming back. There was just <laughs> I, I could I we could have talked to him for hours. It yeah. was just so informative. But truly, um, you know, call, call to action for our people, our listeners, our fa- our Dare to Rise family. Really, yeah. I just encourage people educate yourself on something different, something you're not familiar with. If it is a, a different culture, a different experience. But, you know, Utah has so more diverse than what we realize, you know, in our, in our backyard and everything. So I think it's just really important in the areas that we can continue to grow our, our perspective and our worldview. Um, because, you know, on the surface, it looks like we're not a very diverse community, but when you start looking into seeing what organizations and the, and communities that we have in Utah, there is diversity there. And I think it's just important to always, you know, strive to be an ally and to support, um, our, our fellow people in our communities. Absolutely. So I think there's lots of opportunity for our listeners and for us to dare to rise and, and support Wilson and contact him uh, to either provide donations or go shopping. I mean, who doesn't want, Hey, we're going to go shopping somewheres. Yeah, definitely. So what great conversation that we had tonight and I look forward to our next conversation. So until next time, everybody just always remember to dare to rise. Riding downtown in New York City I know you wanna be there, I bring you away Party in the club like that track from Fitty Cause life is so good, let's go and vibe with me Riding downtown in New York City I know you wanna be there, I bring you with me This is what I'm doing, tell me that you wanna do it with me This is what I'm